You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. going to uh, systematically take a tour of everyone's home in our church, uh, my guess would be we would find immense diversity, meaning we would find differing styles of furniture, we would find different design elements, we would find different house rules. Some of you are, are, are shoes off people. Some of you are insane and are shoes-on people in your home. Uh, So now you know where our house rules lie. Uh, We'd find different sized homes. We'd find different spaces within those homes. My point is everyone's home in our community is going to be diverse, meaning no two are going to be exactly the same. But that being said, my guess would be there is at least one element I think we would find in each of our homes, and that is a junk drawer. Now, the junk drawer, if you don't know is where we tend to put things that don't really have their own place. And so as a result, they tend to be filled with this random, odd collection of items that don't relate to one another in any kind of useful way. So there's usually, there are some common things, though. There's usually like a weird screwdriver, doesn't usually fit anything. There's some kind of charger, there's a few coins. If you're wondering why is there a coin shortage right now, it's because all the coins are in our junk drawers and not being used. You find usually some keys to a random lock. You're not even sure what the key goes to, but you can't get rid of it because you know, like, someday I'm going to remember and I'm going to need this key and I'm going to be so mad that I got rid of that key. So we just have this weird collection of stuff, and when we don't really know where something goes or where to put it, it tends to make its way into the junk drawer. Now, here's what I've noticed more and more. In our culture, we tend to also have what I would call junk drawer terms, meaning There are words that we use for everything, the same word we use for everything, and because we use them for everything, they kind of end up meaning absolutely nothing. So maybe more succinctly, the diverse way that we use them ends up diluting their actual meaning. And the reality is there are so many different examples of this, but in keeping with the theme of this series, A Coal in the Fire, that we're finishing today, I would argue that friend is one of those junk drawer terms. Friend has become this junk drawer term that we use to identify almost any relationship that is not a blood relative. We just use it to describe a countless number of relationships. And because of this, when we hear the word friend, we are prone to import a hundred different meanings into it. It is a junk drawer term. And so, because we call the type of community that we're trying to build at Formation formative friendship, it's so critical that we are clear on what we actually mean when we use that word friend. Because again, the word friendship blankets an almost endless number of relationship expressions in our culture. So we have to be clear on what we mean in our context. And so as we finish this great story that we've been in in Luke 24, we're going to hone in on the ultimate purpose of the formative friendship that we're trying to build. So here's our big idea this morning. If you're taking notes and you like to write things down, make a note of this. The primary focus of formative friendship is discerning the presence of Christ in daily life. 
the primary focus of the formative friendships that we have been talking about is discerning the presence of Christ in daily life. So here's why I think that distinction is important. There are many other meaningful and important expressions of friendship. But when it comes to what we call formative friendship, this is what we're after. We're after learning how to discern the presence of Christ in daily life. Where is God at work and how is he inviting me to respond, which I'm going to unpack a little bit more in just a few minutes. But for now, again, let's finish up this great story in Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible and you want to open that or an app, that's where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible this morning, the scripture is going to be on the screen, so you don't have to worry about that. But let me just recap in case you're here for the first time and and don't recall this story. So just remember, there's these two disciples, and they are on a journey back home uh, to a place called Emmaus. And they are, when they start this journey, in a cloud of discouragement and a cloud of confusion and grief. Jesus had just died, and their hope had died with him. And as they make their way home to Emmaus, they are approached by Jesus, but they don't know it's him. And so then he proceeds through this conversation to gently draw out their deepest desires. He reminds them of the nature of the spiritual journey, and then he frames their story and their experience within his own. And that brings us now to verse 28. So look with me either at your Bible or up at the screen. Luke 24, beginning in verse 28, it starts like this. They came near the village where they were going, which again, we learn in verse 13 was Emmaus. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave them the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So here's what's happening. As they come to Emmaus and the end of their journey, Luke says that Jesus, quote, gave the impression that he was going farther. Now, scholars have no idea why Jesus did that. Uh, The best guess that I've seen is probably that Jesus did not want to violate a hospitality protocol of his day, which were very significant in this culture. And so he didn't want to just invite himself uh, and ask them to host him. But I also wonder if Jesus isn't also giving them a chance to choose how they're going to respond to this interaction. Because they could have chosen to just simply part ways. Like their journey had come to its destination. So they could have just allowed Jesus to go on to wherever it was that he was giving the impression that he was going. Or they could invite him to stay with them. Now thankfully for them, they chose the latter. And so I want to point your attention again in this text to the word stay. Notice how it appears two times in verse 29. They urge Jesus to stay with them rather than go on farther on his own. And Luke says that Jesus responds to that invitation by choosing to stay with them. Now that might on the surface seem like a rather unimportant detail, but I would argue it reminds us of one of the most foundational principles of friendship in general and formative friendship in particular. And the principle is this. Formative friendship can't happen apart from a shared commitment to stay together. Formative friendship can't happen apart from a shared commitment to stay together. Think about this. Had they not chosen to urge Jesus to stay with them, they would have forfeited the healing and transforming experience that they are about to have. And Despite the fact that this seems obvious, I think it's a necessary reminder for us. Because I would argue that as a culture, there may have never been a time in our generation 
in which we have been less committed to staying together. It's true of families. It's true of marriages. It's true of friendships. It's definitely true of church communities. I'm noticing more and more in this sort of post-COVID era in which we all live that our standard of relationship for one another is like almost perfection. So that means like we will stay with a relationship or we will stay with a church community as long as nothing hard or hurtful ever happens. Now, there's an obvious problem with that. And that obvious problem is that friendships are made up of imperfect people. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but that includes Christians. By far, the deepest relational wounds I've experienced have come from Christians. And so we are not immune to this in any way. And so what that means for us is, and why we have to keep this front of mind, is that there is no way friendship is not going to be hard. And we are inevitably going to get hurt. Like, for instance, show of hands, I want you to raise your hand real quick. If at some point in the last week, since we've all been together, you have either been hurt by someone or hurt someone in your life. It doesn't have to be like a big betrayal. You've experienced like, like, like raise your hand, be proud of the hurt. Come on. This is formation. What in the world? Like, look, like the vast majority of us have experienced some kind of hurt. Someone hurts my feelings. Someone made me mad. Someone made me sad. Or I did that to someone else because I was rude or thoughtless in a response. It's just normative in our relationships. Now, I'm obviously, I would think this goes without saying, but in our day and age, it can't. I am not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about a, a, a toxic, harmful relationship in your life that does damage and is destructive to your soul. We shouldn't stay in ever in an abusive situation, but every friendship will be hard and there will be hurt. We are not always going to get our way. Every single one of us in this room is weird in our own way, which means relationship with one another is at times going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward. Our feelings are inevitably going to get hurt. And if we run every time things aren't perfect, then we are going to forfeit the healing and transforming experience that only comes with the choice to stay together. So staying together will mean that we have to learn how to repair every relational rupture in a healthy way, which means we have to acknowledge when we have hurt someone. We have to own the responsibility for that. We have to actually apologize and not say the classic line, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but actually apologize for the hurt that you have caused, intended or not it's still appropriate to apologize. And we have to make the critical and difficult decision when we have heard that and experienced that to forgive. Formative friendship can't happen apart from a shared commitment to stay together. All right, look back at verse 30 now. It was as Jesus reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Now, the most obvious detail that my guess would capture our attention, it certainly captures mine, is that that just as they finally recognize that they have actually been in the presence of Jesus, he disappears. 
So he apparates for you Harry Potter fans. And, and due to the supernatural nature of this detail, it's understandable that it would consume our attention. But the truth is, this is not the only surprising detail that's described here, but it's lost on us because we're like 2,000 rem- years removed from this culture. See, if you were a Christian living in the first century and you heard or you read that Jesus had been invited into their home, invited to sit down to a meal, and that Jesus, quote, took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them, you would have been shocked at that detail. Because this would have been a major violation of hospitality in this culture. Jesus was their guest, but he takes control of this meal. So this this would be like inviting someone over to your house, and you tell them, we are having pasta. And they're like, cool. As soon as they walk in, they go to the fridge, and they go, I'm making tacos. It's basically the same thing. Like, in your house, at your meal, as your guest. That's bad form at best. But understand, Jesus is not being rude here. This moment, this act, marks a shift in their relationship with him. In this moment, it's very clear to them, no no longer is he just another traveling companion. No longer is he just a, a conversation partner that they've been caught up with. Jesus rightfully takes the lead. And here's what this should remind us of. Formative friendship won't happen apart from a shared commitment to surrender to Christ. That's like the foundation of this whole thing. Formative friendship won't happen apart from a shared commitment to surrender to Christ. Because notice, at no point does Cleopas, one of these two disciples, at no point does he stand up and like try to wrestle the bread away from Jesus. That would have been an amusing story detail, but that's not what happened. At no point do either of these disciples nor anyone else in the room stand up and object to what's happening. And that lack of objection is evidence of surrender. And so I really, really, really want you to hear this real quick. The most significant decision that you will ever make That's a great point in a message to like really pay attention, okay? The most important, the most significant decision you will ever make is not who you're going to marry. That's a big one. It's not the most significant. The most significant decision that you will ever make is not what you are going to do for work. So that decision really matters. The most significant decision that you ever make is not where you're going to live. The most significant decision you will ever make is whom you will allow to lead your life. Nothing comes close to the significance, the importance, and the meaning of that decision. And the truth is you only have like three options. It's either going to be you, you're going to allow someone else to lead you around through life, or it's going to be Jesus. The starting point of any friendship that Jesus is going to use to form us in his image is the desire to follow him together, which means surrendering to him. And so I want to give you a question to sit with this week. I'd really invite you to spend some time praying, reflecting, ask the Spirit to reveal an answer to this question. What area of your life are you still fighting to lead? What area of your life Are you still fighting to lead? 
transformative friendship won't happen apart from a shared commitment to surrender to Christ. So let's finish this story now. Look at verse 32. So Jesus has just disappeared out of nowhere. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? And that very hour, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So in this moment, finally the lights go on for them. Their eyes are open to the reality that Jesus had in fact been with them on their journey. Jesus had been present with them in their grief. He'd been present with them in their confusion. He'd been present with them in the midst of their discouragement. He had been there the whole time. They just didn't see him. And I want you to notice how, as their eyes are open, all these pieces start to fall into place for them. Because immediately after Jesus disappears, notice how they begin to reflect. Suddenly, this experience that they had had that once baffled them begins to make sense. They go, oh, that's why it felt like our hearts were burning as he was explaining the scriptures to us. Even when we thought he wasn't, Jesus was with us. And in that very moment, they get up from this meal, they head back to Jerusalem, they find the 11, and they begin to debrief this experience with one another. And so here is the last principle of this series. Formative friendship best happens around a shared commitment to discerning the presence of Christ. Formative friendship best happens around this shared commitment to discern the presence of Christ. Now, discernment in the Bible is a biblical word that is very multifaceted. It's a biblical spiritual practice that has a lot of different expressions. So, for instance, it's a mark of Christian maturity to which Paul says in Romans 12, 2, we should all strive. It is also listed as a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. So, as for a definition... There's a bunch that have existed down throughout church history. For instance, St. Ignatius of Loyola described discernment as finding God in all things so that we might love and serve God in all. Ruth Halley Barton writes, discernment is an increasing capacity to recognize and respond to the presence of Christ in ordinary moments and also in the larger decisions of our lives. So if I were going to summarize just a basic definition of discernment, here's how I would say it. Discernment is the spiritual practice of learning to recognize the presence of Jesus in our lives and how he's inviting us to respond. It's both of those things. It's learning to recognize the presence of Christ in our lives. This is where he is. This is what he's doing. And also how he's inviting us to respond. See, there's two truths that every single Christian has to learn how to embrace. The first one is Jesus is always with you. The second one is, he's always inviting you to something. Both those things are true all the time. No matter how bad of a day you're having, no matter how hard, how dark of a season you're in, two things are true. Number one, Jesus is with you in it. And number two, there's something he's inviting you to in everything. And the problem is, both of those truths often get lost in our daily lives. Think about how much of life we walk through and we experience. We're like, where is God? 
what in the world is he doing right now? Why has he allowed this? What does he want me to do in the midst of all this? These truths get lost. We aren't aware of his presence, and as a result, we often have like no clue what he's inviting us to in any given season. And this is one of the reasons that formative friendship committed to discerning the presence of Christ together is so critical. And so the million-dollar question for all of us is how do we actually experience them? Like we've talked about formative friendship for, I think, like the last nine weeks from all of these different angles. And so the question is, well, how do we actually experience them? And so here's how I'd answer that. The kind of formative friendship that we've been discussing can exist in two forms. It can exist in an informal form and a formal one. And here's what I mean by that. Maybe you have a relationship with a person or you have a relationship with a couple of different people in your life that functions in the ways that we've been describing just rather informally, meaning you aren't necessarily like sitting down for 90 minutes a week and surrendering to a specific structure, but by God's grace, that relationship functions in a way that you are just constantly helping one another discern God's presence in, in, in life. So you're just naturally going to this place about like, as you're sharing in an experience, you're listening for like, man, where is God in this? What's he doing in the midst of this situation? Well, how, how, may, how might he be inviting me or this other person to respond? And if, so if you have that sort of informal kind of relationship with someone, praise the Lord. That is a tremendous gift and grace to you. And I would bet that most of us don't have that without some amount of intentional and formal means. Not a ton of our relationships naturally go there. They naturally go to like some stupid video on Instagram of pandas falling out of trees. That's what Tammy and I have been watching a lot as of late. <laughs> Just pandas, they're amazing, by the way. This is free, okay? This isn't even part of the sermon. But if you're not watching pandas on Instagram, you are missing an important part of life, okay? But we tend to go to these more superficial places. And that being said, some of us recoil at the idea of structure or formality because we, we, we want these relationships, we want these conversations to feel very natural. We want them to just sort of happen. But the truth is, while that can be a reality that we experience, for the most part, that, that won't happen without a fair amount of time and practice in having these kinds of conversations. So I want you to think about it like a dance, learning how to dance, Okay. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, my mom had me, with her, take tap. I just want to, yeah, don't say, oh, okay? This was, I'm talking about this in therapy, so this isn't like, this is, because uh, I don't know if you missed this subtle detail. I was a sophomore in high school, okay? Not six, me and my mom and 20 six-year-old little girls in tutus. So now you know why I am the way that I am, okay? So we did that, and I remember doing it, and I just remember being, I never got past the awkward phase, unfortunately, because I was like, I got to get out of this before I end up weirder than I'm already going to. But I remember, like, as they were, like, walking, I was so up in my head. It was like I'd never walked, never moved my feet, just so, I was just like this weird, awkward robot. But then, if you ever see someone who is just, like, a stunningly beautiful dancer, it looks so effortless. It looks, it was like God put you on the earth and just touched you in a way that your body just knows how to move. 
But the truth is, everyone started in that same awkward place I did. And with time and with practice, it gets more and more and more natural. And that is why the majority of us need some sort of structure to learn how to have these kinds of relationships. So let me give you another image to think about. I want you to think about structure. So like in our formation groups, we have a basic structure that we encourage people to work through so that we kind of get to the heart of what we're experiencing in, in, in an attempt to discern the presence of Christ. So I want you to think about structure like a trellis. You've probably all seen a trellis at some point. Now, the purpose of a trellis is very, very simple. It's designed to support and guide the growth of climbing plants, such as vines, for instance. And by providing a framework for the plants to cling on to, a trellis helps them continue to grow vertically rather than to just die on the ground. And the reality is, most of our relationships need a trellis in order to form us in the ways that we're after. And that is the purpose behind our formation groups. And if you've never really heard us talk about formation groups, they're different than like just a Bible study or even some of the more kind of traditional small group, community group models. Formation groups are a few people meeting at least monthly to just openly process everything we're talking about. Where is God in my experience? And to what is he inviting me right now? Now, the reality is we have seen very mixed results in our formation groups. And some of them have thrived and others of them have really struggled and, and, and been even frustrating for some people. And the truth is there's a handful of reasons why that is. But the biggest one that we have seen is a need for increased support. And so here's our plan to both strengthen our existing groups and to ensure we launch stronger groups moving forward. Um, I'm personally going to be spending the month of July very much focused on having conversations with people in all of our existing groups to do two things, to assess help, or to, I'm sorry, to assess the health of them and the needs, like what's going good, what's not going good, is anything going good, what's hard, what's confusing, how can we provide more support? So that's going to be July. Then in September, uh, August and September, I plan to take uh, three to five men and three to five women and uh, train them to be what we're going to call formation group facilitators. And these four facilitators are going are to not only participate as a member of the group, but they're also going to have been trained to help ensure that our groups are functioning in a healthy manner. So rather than just be like, here's a sheet, here's some questions, talk through these, someone who has actually had a little bit more time and, and intention invested into them, so they know how do, how do we really make these things thrive? They'll also meet with me at least on a quarterly basis for ongoing care and training. And so I'm going to be reaching out to some of you, so just so you're not surprised by that when that phone call comes, um, to consider the possibility of serving in this fashion. But I want you to know, if, there's, if you hear that, and if anything in you stirs at the possibility of this, would you do me a favor and just send me an email and let me know? So just ryan at formationslc.com. I forgot my email for a second. We keep changing the name of our church, and my email keeps changing with it. I can't keep track. It's just, I don't know. I'm pretty sure if you send anything to at FormationSLC, one of us will see it. So send Ryan at FormationSLC.com if you have any interest in that. It's not a commitment, but it would just let me know, hey, maybe God's stirring something in your heart, and we could have a conversation about that. And then lastly, I'm also hoping, and this is something I really want to invite you to pray with me about, 
Uh, if we could find a place to be able to do it, I would really love to have an annual 24 to 48 hour retreat for all of our formation groups. That we can get away for a day or two to just be with God together in a more focused and concentrated way. So the plan is that by October, we have six to 10 thriving formation groups in our church. And this is just a brief overview. So again, feel free to text any specific questions that you might have about any of this, and and I'll answer them as I can. But as we close, I really want to invite you, as we come to the end of this nine-week journey together, I want to invite you to prayerfully consider where God may be inviting you to a deeper experience of formative friendship. And the reality is, we're all in a different place. I, I I would probably go so far as to say, I bet you God's not inviting all of us in this season to be in a formation group. Some of us really be, be, might be in a place where we're not ready for that or because of a number. And it doesn't mean because it's like that's for the Navy SEAL Christians. I'm not saying that in any way. It's like maybe where God has you, that's not the right step. But there is a step. So maybe it's taking the first step and just attending a meetup for the first time. We have another men's night, for instance, coming up in July. There's a bunch of different things going on over the course of the summer. We have a family night coming up in a few weeks. Maybe you just need to take that first step and come to a meetup. Maybe your step is to get more intentional in some existing relationships. Maybe it's allowing me to sort of come alongside you in your formation group, and maybe there's some things that we can tune up together a little bit. Maybe you're being invited to email me about facilitating Maybe it's joining a group this October when we launch some fresh ones. So our steps might all be different. But what we all share in common is our need to discern the presence of Christ together. We all need to learn to both recognize where is God in my experience? Where was he in the past? Where is he in my present? And how is he inviting me to respond? So let's commit. We're going to stay together. Sure, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to have to learn to work through some hard things together. But we're going to commit to stay together. We're going to commit to surrender to Christ together. And we are going to learn to discern his presence together. Will you pray with me to that end? Jesus, we thank you. As we have thanked you and we will continue to thank you, that you created us for community. That our souls shrivel and suffer in isolation. And so you've invited us into relationship with you, even relationship with ourselves and our own experience, and also, very importantly, relationship with one another. And Jesus, you know how hard relationship is. You experienced conflict. You experienced betrayal. You experienced hurt. You also forgave. And you showed deep commitment to those who followed you and walked with you. And we want to learn to do the same. We desperately not just want to know, but we need to know where are you in our lives? What are you up to? What are you doing? What are you inviting us to? And we know 
that no one just wakes up one day awesome at that. It's a muscle to be developed. It's a, it's a skill to learn. And so I just pray that you would continue to teach us about that. Lord, would you move in each of our hearts? What step are you inviting us to take for deeper formative friendships with one another? We thank you, Lord, that your word says when we ask you for wisdom and faith that you give it to us. And so we ask you for the wisdom to discern that step.